0: Well, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Dan McDonald. It is great to see you, to see those of you who are here and to see those of you who are joining us online. Special welcome to those of you, wherever you are in your journey of faith, if you are curious about the Christian faith or if you're investigating it, we're glad that you are here. We are continuing a series in the book of Mark, which is one of the stories or gospels that narrates the life of Jesus. And this morning, we have come to a portion of Scripture in the last part of the first chapter of Mark. Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's in the northern area. And we begin with verse 21 of Mark 1. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him this is the word of the lord well as i mentioned we're looking at the life and the teachings of jesus of nazareth the most astonishing and compelling figure in human history jesus here in the account of his life by the gospel writer mark is actually an electric figure here jesus has just called his first apostles to follow him you Heard that last week if you were tuning in. And they did so immediately, the way Mark describes it. Jesus keeps having this, this immediate effect on things. You'll see that word everywhere, especially in the early parts of Mark's gospel. And the reader is left wondering why would, why would these people immediately trust Jesus so wholeheartedly to leave their families, their livelihoods? We saw last week they left their boats, they left their industry. They left their family to follow this wandering rabbi through the wilderness in the remote Jewish countryside. I submit to you that their question is yours and mine. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, wherever you are in life, we keep having to confront this question. Why should I trust Jesus? I was talking to a skeptic a couple years ago, and They were quite interested in Christianity, but they asked me this. They said, you know, I have certain accomplishments. I have a certain place in society. I have friends. And some of these teachings of Jesus, well, they're pretty out of step with modern sensibilities. So why should I do it? He was asking what these people are asking. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's not just one of the most famous lines in Disney animated history, right? Jasmine, do you trust me? Join the magic carpet. It's not just that. It's the question that echoes through the centuries. The question that the Son of God is asking all of us, has always been asking. Do you trust me? It's the question the people who read these words were asking. Do you trust me? It's the question that people literally seeing Jesus, watching him, and the question you and I, seeing me now, need to answer. Every day, the world confronts us with a very different set of answers, a very different set of questions, a very different set of values to the ones that Jesus offer you. And what Mark is saying is this, you want to follow him, and then you got to trust him. And here, Mark constructs this passage to say, This is why you should trust him. Firstly, trust him because of the authority of his teachings. Trust his wisdom. Secondly, trust him because of the authority he holds over the spiritual realm. Trust his power. Thirdly, you must trust him because of the authority he has over death and disease. Trust his heart. Trust his wisdom. Trust His power. Trust His heart. Let's look at these three. Trust His wisdom, Jesus' authority over truth and wisdom. First verse, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at His teaching as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus here is traveling with His small new group of disciples. They go into Capernaum. It's a fairly prosperous fishing hub in, in northern Israel, but it's kind of remote. It's not near any major hub, and so it's got a certain attraction as close enough but far enough away, kind of, I don't know, like, you know, Peterborough or Guelph, maybe London. And there it says, immediately, now check that word out, it's all over this chapter and this passage, immediately, Jesus enters the synagogue and begins teaching, and the people were astonished. The Greek word here means to be struck with amazement. In the New Testament, this word is almost always used of people who are not committed to Jesus but who are hearing him for the first time. They've never heard anything like it ever. The reason they're astonished is the authority of Jesus' teaching. He's not like, you know, some good teacher. The Jewish hearers had very good teachers. They had the scribes trained in Jewish Torah, law, trained to to understand it, interpret it, explain it, judge on it, be juries in legal cases for it. These people put Oprah or Dr. Phil or, I'm sorry, even Jordan Peterson, they probably put them to shame with the quality of the teaching. And yet here Jesus comes and teaches on another level. Because Jesus has the answers to the questions of life. Jesus is the one who taught us that true corruption is not from what you do or what you bring into your mouth or your stomach, but what comes out of you from your thoughts and your heart. Jesus, Jesus alone said you cannot serve God and money. Money can become a God. Jesus taught the world that. Jesus taught your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. It can fool you. Jesus taught us that the world was fundamentally flawed, that there was corruption seeming through every part of it, that it's broken in ways that constantly disappoint us and break us, and yet so beautiful, it constantly haunts us and tempts us. Jesus taught this. He alone said, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.'" Jesus is the only one who really knows which way is up. He knows how the world works because he made it. This is Mark's point. He knows how and when and why the world was created. He knows, he knows why the platypus looks like it does. He knows why you and I came to be. He knows how you're made. He knows how we flourish. He is reality. He knows the past and the future there's no one wiser than Jesus. There's no one who knows you more intimately, who knows your context more perfectly, who knows how you flourish more precisely. He's infinitely wise because he's the infinite God. I was recently talking to a young couple about their desire to maybe move out of the rented life and move out of an apartment into something they can own. And they don't know when and how or, or what, you know, What are the parameters for what they should do? I talked to someone recently just graduating from school, not sure what career they should go for. I talked to three lawyers in the past few months who are considering leaving their practice. They don't know if they should stay lawyers. I think they're being wise, personally, but they need, actually, wisdom. We don't know where to go. COVID has made fools of us all. And yet there is one, says Mark, who has divine, infinite, astonishing wisdom. He made reality. He knows it infinitely. You can trust him. You should trust him. Because he alone has those answers, you must trust him to get tapped into that reality. Trust his wisdom. Secondly, trust his power. Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm of angels and demons. Immediately, it says, after he's astonished people, there's that word again, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now here, someone is not astonished at Jesus' teachings. There's an evil spirit inhabiting a person. This is an intruder from the supernatural realm who's inhabiting ours. We're not usually, we don't usually in our culture notice the presence of this kind of personified evil, of angels and demons. Most cultures, though, in the world are quite comfortable with their presence. They know that they exist. And I need to ask you who doubt the existence of these. with all of the evil in the world, with the persistence of vicious racism throughout the centuries, the oppression of women, the horrors of Hitler and the Holocaust, the, what's happening in China with the Uyghurs, with, with with the Armenians in the early part of the 20th century, with the Jewish people in the middle of the 20th century. Do you not believe in evil? Germany, one of the most enlightened nations in the world, had millions of its citizens agree and collude toward a system of planned, systematic murder of one group of people. That's not a couple of people being mentally unbalanced. The gospel says, our history says, there is real evil in the world. And the persistence of this level of vicious racism, of sexual slavery, Shows us that there is real evil. And the gospel says it's real evil because there are evil beings present in our midst. There are both good and evil spirits. They are a real and present danger. They can inhabit and possess people. There's one right here. I have met a person possessed by an evil spirit. Several times. I met one downtown Toronto on New Year's Eve. At a Hilton hotel. This spirit recognizes Jesus, Jesus immediately. He has no doubt about who he is. He's not astonished or confused. You are the Holy One of Israel. That's a title for God. Now put yourself there. You're in the room. You're in that synagogue. You've come on a nice Saturday morning to, to hear someone nicely interpret the words of God and then to go home to a nice lunch with your family. That's what you've been expecting. And then this guy gets up, this itinerant rabbi with no formal training and he speaks with such authority he astonishes you and then he gets interrupted by an evil spirit and then he commands this spirit simply to come out of him. It's extraordinary. What did that evil spirit say? He said, what do you have to do with us? Probably a better translation why don 't you leave us alone? The Greek really kind of means we should have our separate realms. Why aren 't you leaving us alone? The evil spirit does not want to face God. He wants freedom to do what he wants to do, unrestricted. and by the way, think about that. Is it possible that part of the nature is of evil? is to try and find freedom from the restrictions on evil that God would create. Now you're there, you're in the synagogue, and you're, you're seated, and you're uncomfortable. Your nice morning has been completely disrupted. How are you feeling? You're probably feeling like the average Torontonian downtown when they meet someone who's strung out on some kind of drug that's got them highly agitated. You've seen them, right? Right? You've seen people who are strung out, walking, screaming and yelling, and, and, and a bit ir- volatile. And they make you feel unsafe and uncomfortable. By the way, have you heard what some of them have Maybe you have seen evil. Maybe you have seen demons possessing people after all. Like we do when we see someone high on drugs... You suddenly, you feel unsafe. But you're not at Allen Gardens, you know, at 11 o'clock at night. You're, you're in your synagogue on a Saturday morning. And then Jesus just rebukes him with a word, and he's gone. Jesus here isn't Gandalf. He's not tapping into the magic that's present in the world. He's no Harry. He needs no magic because the power is in him. He is the creator of all things. Colossians 1:15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that includes spiritual authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the spirit here is subject to him. And the spirit cries out loudly, Because the spirit doesn't want to leave. But the spirit obeys the rabbi. Why? Because he has to. Because the demon is speaking to his master. The one who has power over him. Jesus Christ is no mere human teacher. He's no mere guru. He's the Lord. The Lord of the cosmos. The creator of the realm of spirits and angels and demons and you and me. Is there evil in the world? Yes, there is. Is pornography only a harmless practice of escapism and fantasy? No, it is not. It is evil. Is the sexual slavery of millions of young women around the world a regrettable and understandable practice? No, it is evil. There is evil in this world, and there's evil in you and me. There are dark thoughts in you as there are in me. Selfish patterns of resentment, envy, pride, cruelty, criticism of others. I remember reading a survey soon after I left university that said 70% of men, if they could get away with it, would have sex with a woman even if they didn't consent to it. Think about that. It's evil in our hearts. Is there part of us? It wants distance from God so we can have freedom to do what we want to do. All of us feel that way. All of us, even the most religious of us. There's evil in all of us. The Bible calls it sin, the desire to do what we want when we want. Foucault said it well. It's a kind of inner fascism, he said. He said the strategic enemy is fascism. The fascism in us all, in our heads, and in our everyday behavior. The fascism that causes us to, to love power. To desire the very thing that dominates and exploits us. Don't you want power over evil? Don't you want to see victory over evil? Don't you long to see freedom from evil? For you, for your loved ones, for our culture. Get back in that synagogue and look at that person who's just commanded an evil spirit to come out and it obeys him. He is the one who has the power to give it to you. And then look at the person who's just been freed as the evil spirit comes out of him. What do you see on his face? What emotions? Relief. Gratitude. Joy. Peace. Freedom. Not the freedom to do what he wants, but the freedom from the power of evil over him. Not sexual freedom. Soul freedom. Freedom from the inner fascist. What freedom do you actually want in your heart of hearts? Freedom from God to do whatever you want? Or the freedom that God gives to his children to break the power of evil in you? Which freedom do you choose? The gospel says to come to Jesus is to come to the one who has the power to give you the deeper, greater freedom. The one who came into full humanity but retained the status of God, he has the power to break evil in you and me and anyone. You must trust him because he has the authority over evil. Finally, don't just trust his wisdom. Don't just trust his power. Trust his heart. It says in the last part here that Jesus immediately, there's that word again, leaves the synagogue, goes to the house of Simon and Andrew. The mother-in-law has a fever, and he heals her. Then, picking it up in verse 32, the evening comes, it's sundown, and the whole area, all in the area, start to bring him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. The whole city of Capernaum was gathered together at his door. Mark has shown us the authority of Jesus' teaching. He's shown the authority of Jesus over evil, and now he shows us the authority of Jesus over disease and death. Sure, the mother-in-law had a fever, and fevers can break. We know medically. uh, We could maybe dismiss that one, but not everybody else. Not all those other diseases. People bring their relatives, their friends, and Jesus out of love and compassion, just heals and heals and and, and removes demons from people and heals. Do you fear COVID? Do you fear disease? Do you fear death? We all do. Look at our response to COVID. Look at all the industries for health and anti-aging and to protect us from disease and death. We fear it. We hate it. We know the wrongness of it. It has a grip upon us, and Jesus comes into the middle of that fear that grips you and says, I can free you because I can heal you. I am the resurrection and the life, he told Mary and Martha. He who believes in me, though they die, they shall live forever. And what Mark is doing here... Is two things. The first thing is kind of the obvious one by now. He's showing the different kinds of authority that Jesus has. He has the authority in the wisdom of his teaching, he has the authority in his power over evil and the supernatural realm, and he has the authority even to heal de- disease and break the power of death. That's what only God can do. That, that threefold perspective shows us that Jesus came to reverse all of the parts of the curse. If those of you who know your biblical history, when Adam and Eve rebelled from God, a curse came upon humanity and upon the earth. And Jesus is breaking every element of it. But he's saying something much more personal to you and me. Do you trust me? Do you need wisdom? Trust me. Do you need power over evil in your heart or in the world? Trust me. Do you need healing over disease and death? Trust me. But there's a strange little tagline at the end here that Mark says. He tells the demons to be quiet and not talk about him. He doesn't want his authority to get out too quickly. Why? What's he doing? Mark is saying what he will say more deeply later, trust his heart. Because what Mark is alluding to here is that Jesus is not yet ready. He has not fulfilled his full task. He's he's got a particular mission here. You see, the one who has all this authority, the one who calls us, the one who we can trust, the one who we must trust, is the one who's going to prove his authority eventually in the most astonishing way. He's not just going to get tongues wagging in astonishment at a synagogue. Let's leave the synagogue and go to the end of the story, and let's relocate ourselves to a hill just outside Jerusalem on a nippy spring afternoon. Evening is falling. It's Passover and you're watching a man be nailed to a piece of wood. And then that wood is raised up and becomes a cross. And this man who astonished you in the synagogue is now crucified to two pieces of wood so that he can feel the most excruciating pain, ripping his joints at every moment when he lifts himself up to be able to give himself the ability to breathe until he suffocates in mind-blowing pain. You see, the man with all authority over what is true and right and wise allowed himself to be subject to lies and improperly found guilty of something he was innocent of. This man with all authority over evil allowed evil to enter into the heart of one of his 12 most trusted disciples and said to Judas Iscariot, filled with that evil, go. What you do, do quickly and let him be filled with that evil and let evil come down upon him. And this man with authority over disease and death now strung up to face one of the most cruel deaths ever devised by any culture in human history allows death to come to him. Why? Why is this one with all this authority over them being subject to evil, death, and lies? Because this God-man came not to be installed as a hero or emperor, which would probably have happened if what was happening at Capernaum got out too quickly. But he came to suffer and to die for you and for me. The one with all authority emptied himself, says Paul in Philippians chapter 2. He took the form of a servant. He became human. And being found in human form, he humbled himself even to death. Death on a cross. The one who has all authority to rule, not just rule us, but rule all of the cosmos, became human and then rejected to save us to be condemned in our place. When Jesus hung on that cross, he had not sinned or done any evil, but he was treated as if he'd done all sin and as if he was guilty of all evil. His heavenly father at that moment accepted his beloved son gift of his own body as a sacrificial scapegoat offering for the evil in you and me. Because his heart is so filled with love and compassion for you and me. That even while we were looking for freedom to do what we wanted to do, what have you to do with us? Even when we were doing that, he willingly was condemned in our place. He hung on a cross and felt the judgment of his father because of the love in his heart and the love in his father's heart for you and me. His heart is so filled with mercy and grace, it so desires to see you delivered and free. Soul freedom. And he who called the disciples to come and to trust and will make them fishes of Ben, he calls you and I and says, Take the first step. Do you trust me? Take the thousand and first step. If you've been a Christian a long time, trust me. Quick applications. If you're curious about Jesus, watch the progression of the people here. They go from being astonished at his teaching to being amazed at his power to bringing their friends and their sick ones and their demon-possessed ones to him in faith at the end of the day. You see, that's the journey. That's the journey of faith that God's calling you to You might be curious. You might find some of the stuff really interesting. It's alternatively attractive and scary. But are you amazed at him and his power? Are you willing to trust him and come to him with your needs? Or are you like the evil spirit, I just want my distance? Do you trust him? Or do you just want your distance Aldous Huxley famous intellectual of the 20th century admitted that a lot of his own progressive arguments against traditional religion came down to this we just wanted freedom to do what we wanted to do morally where are you? take the next step go from astonishment to amazement to trust come to Jesus He will heal you. Christians, it's the same for you. It's hard to trust Him, isn't it, with our next step? It's hard to trust Him with the tragedies of our lives. It's hard to trust Him with the decisions of our careers. It's hard to trust Him. We want to take it back to ourselves. But the one who has all authority over you, who has all wisdom for you, who can take the evil out of you, And make you new. It's the one who died for you. It's the one who rose for you. And so he asks you. Will you trust me? Will you obey my words? Even when they're hard for you to hear. And harder for your culture to hear. Will you obey. My power and let me take the evil out of you. Secondly, are you willing to not only trust him? Are you willing to walk in as his disciple to the same mission that he calls that he that he went into? Are you willing to come and confront evil in our culture? Are you willing, if you're conservative politically and socially, are you willing to swim upstream of some of the culture around you and call racism as the evil that it is? To call greed the evil as it is? If you tend to swim in the stream of progressive social and political circles, are you willing to call pornography the evil that it is? Are you willing to challenge the narrative about abortion and euthanasia and say God is pro-life? Are we willing to enter in to fighting the good fight of reversing the curse, of helping to heal the people mentally, emotionally, physically, spending our money and our time in healing people? Are we willing to help people spiritually by telling them that there is eternal life in this one? Are we willing to enter in? Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness and your grace. And I ask now that we we who are hearers would be willing to become doers of your teaching and to follow you, submit to your authority. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness to us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we, uh, we have the Q&A phone, and uh, we have sparked a revolution. I see 10 questions. I won't be able to answer all of them. I'm going to answer a, a number of them. Uh, can I please elaborate about the evil spirit you encountered? How uh, did you know? Uh, about five of six of us encountered this one. We were all Christians. We were at a conference. They wandered into our conference and asked what was going on. We said it was about Jesus. They immediately began to blaspheme him and then swear. And then their face got modeled. They got physically agitated. Then they spoke in some guttural, bestial voice. And then when we tried to calm them down, they got physically violent and We could not control them, so we had to wait for them to calm down, move them outside of the room. We did it again. The same thing happened. It was very clear. It was the same pattern I've seen in other countries. That was what it looked like then. Okay, four questions about my encounter on New Year's. Uh, People who uh, struggle with mental health disorder, we often feel the tension between the disorder itself and the evil of this world. How do we ask God to cast out the evil in our heart and ask for healing? These are really good questions, and I'm going to extend this to physical diseases that don't seem to be curable. One of the things that we have to realize is that the one who came to reverse it, Jesus, himself suffered through it, and he gave us a pattern. It's a pattern of partially now and fully later. Jesus, who came to conquer death, didn't conquer death immediately. He went through death, and then he rose from death. And he gave us a pattern. You will one day be free from emotional or physical disease, but it may not be cured in this lifetime. But I'm the God of resurrection who rose for you, and I will bring you to where I am. I will help you rise, and there you will be free of all of it. And so what Jesus promises us is not always going to happen in this life. Matter of fact, if we were healed from all disease and all aging, we would never die. But he promises all of his people that they will have his presence and his power to endure with grace that which has afflicted them. God allows the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, says the Old Testament. He allows the afflictions of this life to fall upon all of us. But he gives us a power to deal with it differently. To endure it with love, faith, hope, and joy, and to one day know that we will be released from it. Okay, I'm going to ask one more question that that will be done. How do we distinguish between mental illness and someone on drugs from someone who is actually possessed? That's a very good question. I don't always know, um, and and I'm not um, I'm not an a, I'm not an expert on addiction, and I'm not an expert on demon possession. But I I do want to say this. I want to ask you to be open to the possibility that sometimes someone who is addicted may in fact also at that moment be dealing with something else. And I want to say this to all of you. The physical realm that we experience is not as airtight as we've been taught to think. There is an interchange between that physical realm that we experience and this spiritual realm where angels and demons and God exist. And God has so ordered it that they can come in and inhabit with us and be part of our life. You live in that much more complex world than we think. But we have a Lord who is Lord over all of that world who calls us to trust Him, to walk with Him through it. I'm going to pray now and ask the worship team and uh, the uh, liturgist to come on up to lead us in a time of reflection. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and I praise You for this time, for this grace, for Your power and authority. And I ask now that You would allow us the privilege of becoming Your children, of seeing You in all Your authority and trusting You. For Christ's name, amen.